The 100% Wild Podcast is brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the nation's number one GPS hunting app. Download today in the Google Play and App Store. All right, so we got a special live edition of the Drury Outdoors 100% Wild Podcast coming at you today and for very good reason, right? Yeah, yeah, we've got your dad as a special guest because he did something last night. That's right. And before we get rolling, I'm Matt Drury. You're Tim Chelsea. I'm Tim Chelsea. It kind of goes without saying, this right? Is, I mean, yeah, this is the podcast. So let's jump right into it. We got old man winner Terry Drury with us. What's up, dad? What up? <laughs> Terry's in the house. He's victorious today. That's right. Or a change. <laughs> so you had a really great sit last night. Actually, it was a, probably a really poor sit up until the time that a certain deer walked out. You've been battling EHD there in Northern Missouri really, really badly this year is the worst. I think you've ever been hit on that specific form. Uh, so kind of take us through what the first two months of the season has looked like here before, before you get into the story. Well, it, it began by, you know, people in this area immediately starting to, you know, make requests and and send pictures and say, hey, have you found any dead deer yet? We're finding them all over. And uh, the stories continue to just get worse and worse progressively. And things started piling up, if you will. So we started, uh, you know, smelling a lot of really, really bad odors and then trying to investigate that and only to find deer at the end of the end of the smell. And, uh, you know, we got we got to the point where it got to be so many uh, far started marking them and mapping them out on Onyx. We were pinning them so that we didn't count some of the same deer twice because, you know, this spring, obviously we're going to go on our shed hunt. We're wanting mm-hmm. to find uh, a lot of these deer that have just disappeared. They fell off cameras and, and once they're off the reconnaissance cameras, uh, it's usually not a very good uh, outcome. So he went ahead and, and pinned them. And, and then we reported it to the conservation department. We wanted to make sure that our agent knew what we were doing, how many deer we were finding, uh, so that they had the ability to document it as well. And uh, the reports were just not good. So with that being said, uh, we just didn't have any return big deer, big shooters that we were after. And we had a pretty good shed season last year, had uh, some up and comers that we were really, really looking forward to hunting this year and uh, ended up, we had one, one shooter. And as luck would have it, had pictures of him on the 27th of September went in on the right wind on the 29th only to find out that that we were smelling this bad odor. Mm. The buzzards were dive bombing us while we were in our stand. And, uh, you know, we didn't know which deer, but, uh, the next day Forrest went in and located and it was the, the only shooter we had left. That's brutal. Uh, so we found that deer had expired. And then as, as luck would have it, another one popped up this deer that we were, were on last night and uh, started playing the triangulation game. You know, we went in, started putting a few more reconnaissance cameras out and trying to figure out his home core area where he was going. He wasn't going very far. I had a a pretty pretty tight circle on this particular deer, but it seemed like everywhere we were, he wasn't. And uh, we hunted him about as hard as you could hunt him and still not mess it up. You know, we were playing the wind right, trying to just play the game mornings and evenings. And it's unusual for me to hunt mornings this time of year, but the moon was right. It was waxing full, had a really nice little cold front push through. And I'd have bet or lost, you know, a hundred dollars one morning because I thought we'd kill him that morning and we didn't never laid an eyeball on him and uh, had not seen this deer. So yesterday I'm going to fast forward a little bit, had extremely high winds, 
standard wind velocity was around 20 or 25 mile an hour, wow. had gusts 35, 40, 45, and I thought it hit 50 there a time or two, was planning on hunting a tree stand for this particular deer because the wind direction was correct. Mm -hmm. It was absolutely perfect. We had a west-southwest, and I thought, let's climb a tree. Well, as it continued to gust like that, we had a, a game-time decision to make, and, and I switched gears. I said, let's go sit in a scent-proof box, even though it's off of the area where he's coming out, and uh, see if we can't you know, learn something. MRI is usually priceless. So uh, we did just that, and uh, as luck would have it, it worked out pretty doggone well. So uh, about how many weeks ago did this new deer show up? Mm, I'm going to say it was about three or four weeks. We've had him a little while now, um, and maybe not quite that long, but three or four weeks roughly, mm -hmm. and got a ton of reconics pictures of him. And he, again, his circle was pretty tight. He wasn't going very far between a field we call catfish and another one we call Keats Hidden Field. There's a little bit of an elevation change, and there's probably 250 to 300 yards, uh, you know, in in distance between them. And uh, he just wasn't going very, very far at all. And it, it was killing me because we had pictures of him and daylight photos. You know, when that moon was right and it was setting in the mornings, we got some really, really nice photos of him. And I, I just thought we were going to kill him and didn't didn't happen. So, uh, you know, the chess match continued. And last night, because of the winds, we moved off of the food source a little bit. Mm -hmm. And uh, as luck would have it, he <laughs> he worked into the wrong spot. So you're sitting in a muddy, what, a muddy penthouse there in that spot? It was, it was one that we'd, it was one that we'd built. It oh, was okay. uh, one of the older ones that we had, Matt. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that's where I've killed a few deer out of that, that spot there. You and killed several we, out of there. We yes. had an encounter with Jenny Wainwright's buck. And so a few, few good spots out of there, but last year we didn't really hunt there at all. If you remember <laughs> right. No shame on me. Uh, last year we killed tuning fork early, killed him in September. And uh, I just kind of dropped the ball a little bit. You know, we kind of switched gears and, and moved on to Iowa and moved on to Illinois. We had some tags in other states. And I kind of let that spot alone and had some really, really good deer show up there after, you know, after that October 15th, October 20th period. And I just never went back in there. I never, I never checked the cameras. It was literally, you know, almost a year later before I went back. And uh, all these big bucks were in there and we didn't know it. So shame on me for not going back in there. But it's one of those sacred spots that I just absolutely feel real uneasy every time I go in there. I usually go midday, try to catch the right wind to change the card out. And, uh, um, you know, this year we did that a little more readily and a little more, uh, you know, we we're diligent about it this year, trying to make sure that we got the information and got it pretty doggone quickly. So last night's sit was more of a scouting sit that turned into a, a hunt. It was. And, you know, oddly enough, Tim, uh, now when I change flashcards, I'll do it with my tractor and brush hog, the Massey Ferguson with the big fat wing brush hog, because these deer just don't get too rattled when a tractor comes Not through. Sure. So I used the tractor yesterday or day before, actually. And went in there and I and I kind of mowed the lane. There's a little bitty road on the backside of the corn. And uh, and when I was going through there, I looked at the blind and I said, you know what? If a deer walks this road, I don't have a shot. So I got out of the tractor, letting it and the brush hog run the whole time. Mm -hmm. And above the ears, I broke the tops of the corn stalks off so that we would at least have one one shooting lane there to this roadway. Yeah. 
And I'll be doggone if that wasn't. <laughs> he was behind the car the whole time. And Forrest did a great job getting on him, you know, in manual focus, trying to make sure that we weren't really certain who it was at first. Couldn't couldn't pick up his rack. And then all of a sudden we got glimpses of him and said, that's him, a positive ID. And then he slowly but surely walked walk his way, you know, behind the car. And uh, and as luck would have it, he stopped in the hole that he needed to stop into where I had just broken the tops of those corn stocks the day before. So kinda we got extremely like lucky. Yeah, it kind of makes you feel like and you know what you're doing. The, when you, good part you about, the good part about this, if you guys are watching this on Facebook or wherever, you can go over to DeerCast. It's live right now. The see the shot Terry's deer cast now his journal the pictures all that stuff's in there right now I just watched it for the first time myself and that's the cool part you can go right to it and see it as we speak here so it's thanks, an awesome thanks. it's an awesome uh, kill too man Forrest did a great thanks. job there thanks to Forrest I made him stay up all night we wouldn't feed him we didn't let him go to bed he did that just to make sure that it was up and running <laughs> he did a good job you know I, I was so happy to see that text come through last night when we were kind of sharing the fact that that you had killed Terry because it can be psychologically devastating to not have a good lead on deer and to feel like your season's in shambles before it even starts. Tim speaking from experience currently. I'm, I'm kind of, yeah, kind of projecting on onto you. So I, I know it was, it was a big relief to finally have a good shooter show up and then to get on him so quick. Yeah, it, it was, Tim. You're absolutely correct. And, uh, you know, as long as we've been doing this, you, you know, not a lot stirs us anymore, so to speak. Mm -hmm. But boy, EHD, when you work so hard to plant the food plots and hang stands and trim lanes and all that stuff that we do each and every year, and then Mother Nature in one quick blow just goes and takes all of your top end deer out. It's a it's a punch in the gut. It really is. And and sometimes you, you know, it humbles you and you realize that you really don't have as much control as you think you might, it's good point. Uh, yeah. you know, because you try so hard to raise these deer and you're almost, it's an, almost an impossible task, uh, but you do the best you can every day and, and she humbles you on a daily basis. So you kind of reset. And we did just that. The, the one deer that we were hunting was a deer that I passed at age four and a half, passed him at age five and a half. It, man, Matt may remember this. This was a deer that I'd sent you and Trevor and Cameron yeah. uh, in on last year. And we were hunting him this year. He was a really nice six and a half year old deer and then found him dead of, from EHD. Had pictures of him on the 27th, hunted him on the 29th, and he was laying 60 yards from our stand where he was dead. So those are the ones that really do hunt. And in answer to your question, Tim, yes, it was it was a tough one to overcome, but you just keep moving on and you keep yeah. trying to do the best you can. Now, that being said, as it, as it pertains to EHD, you know, it's, it's kind of widely known that, uh, the, a, a big frost will help kill that midge and hopefully shut down any new EHD, you know, cases from happening. It's not to say that they may not have gotten it before the frost. Right. And, and it, and it was, was there two different versions of EHD? Is that the case? One that's You're absolutely correct. There's the acute and then there's the chronic acute. They're typically dead within 48 hours. And the chronic sometimes can take months for them to expire. Yeah. And oddly enough, we were sitting in this blind last night and uh, the wind was gusting and galing at 35 mile an hour. And we saw these buzzards circling and they, we've had buzzards all over the farm this year. There seems like there's there's more buzzards than there are deer. But they kept dive bombing this one position where I felt really, really confident that that's where he was betting. So I was worried last night that he might have had the chronic 
version mm -hmm. and expired already. You know, here we were hunting another deer that passed, you know, passed. And uh, as luck would have it, that wasn't the case. But I'm I'm dying to get back in there and find out which deer they were on because they were definitely on another another carcass. So that was semi disturbing while we were sitting there. Much to your point, Tim. So in years where where you and Mark have seen EHC hit your places, do, is there any silver lining to this? Is there you know like like a deer like this showing up that maybe you didn't know of, or um, the deer that survive are they kind of able to fight off this disease next year? Any silver lining to EHD here? Well, on my farm, and you guys are very well aware of this, that the deer density was high. So we were constantly trying to harvest does and get the buck to doe ratio in check and get that deer density down. And Mother Nature had a way of doing that her way. So, you know, the silver lining would be a little less herd pressure, a little less stress from a, you know, when they all congregate on a food plot or whatever, there's, there's fewer numbers. And we've actually seen a, a pretty positive effect where a lot of times they'll come back even bigger, ever, even stronger. You know, it seems like the strong survive. Yeah. And uh, the racks seem to do a little better because the deer density is is much, much lower. So whether it be a food plot or a mast crop, they seem to make it through the winter a little bit better, you know, a little more body fat. And uh, those stronger deer are the ones that make it through. And, and we've seen some pretty good results because of it. I know Mark has talked about decreasing social stress, which I think is kind of wrapped into what you're talking about, mm -hmm. Terry, that, that people don't probably give enough credit to how much damage social stress can do to deer when they just can't get away from other deer because they're just jammed in there so tight. The densities are too high. Just what that does to them in their brains. And then obviously the resources on, on the property yeah. are, you know, a strain for sure. Terry, I'm, I'm interested, you know, the winds were so high last night and I, I've always felt like high winds kind of jam up a deer's ability to use their senses. It's hard to hear things. It's hard to smell when you get swirling winds, especially when the winds are that high. What do you think got that buck up on his feet in those conditions? You know, that's a really, really good question, Tim. And I will tell you this much. The only reason I went back in there last night was because several years ago, and this might've been, I don't know, 10 or 12 years ago, I had a very, very similar scenario, similar situation, 35, 40 mile an hour winds. Uh, and I went to Keith's Hidden Field and, and I was strapped in, had to harness and it was galing, but it was down low and ended up killing a deer that night. But it was the only deer we saw, fully mature. The only deer we saw ended up harvesting him. And Mark and I talked on the phone yesterday. I knew what kind of winds we were, they were calling for. So I made a decision that I was going to go regardless, uh, but I was planning on sitting in a tree last night and then game time decision changed my mind. Uh, as you get a little older, you know, you decided to stay error on the safe side. Mm. And we did that. We went and sat in a scent proof line, but I, I don't know what prompts them to get up on their feet. And why is it just the mature deer uh, where you see one, one deer? Uh, I have no idea. And that might get back to that social stress thing. Mm -hmm. uh, oftentimes, I think when you have really, really adverse weather conditions, it's not too indifferent from a turkey. They always want to get with a hen, you know, when you have those really, really bad weather conditions. I'm not so sure that this buck wasn't up on his feet trying to get with a doe or, or trying to nudge a few does around if they were out on the food plot. 
just so happens there was nothing out there. So, it, you know, I wish I knew what that answer was, but I, I honestly do not. So before we get into the question of the day today, I wanted to ask you, you know, we're kind of in that period where it's, you know, kind of ending the, you know, quote unquote, the October lull, we're getting into uh, phase four. What are some strategies? Because we're also hitting the dark of the moon. We're getting near the dark of the moon. What are some strategies that guys can go out there and and, and utilize? Because there are some really good weather days coming up mm-hmm. in the future here. It, I mean, we're getting to that time of year where almost no matter what the weather's doing, you kind of got to be out. out there. Well, and there is no substitute for MRI. They're hitting scrapes extremely heavy right now, and they're sparring pretty heavily. You know, it's it's to the point where they're nudging does around and really, really feeling it. So right now, if you don't have a camera transition, now would be the best time to get it on those scrapes and uh, try and pick up as much information as you can and then start the triangulation process. That's what I call it. You know, when it's food to bed, bed to feed, all of a sudden their circle starts to get just a little bit bigger and uh, gets back to if you're in an area where there's EHD, those deer are going to roam a little bit further than their normal circle. Here we had a high deer density. They didn't have to go very far to pick up a, a doe that was coming into estrus. You know, whenever those does disappear, all of a sudden that circle gets just a little bit bigger. So all the more reason to have as many cameras as you can get out there and try and pick up uh, a little more recent information. And that's what we're doing. We're studying cameras on a daily basis, strategizing every time we, we see them move and then where their bedroom was and then how it's starting to expand. We're starting to see them just go a little bit further now. Let's say a guy is going to take off work on Friday. (laughs) Would you suggest a morning hunt or an afternoon hunt? Or both. Well, with the weather the way it is, I I would do both. I really would. I would uh, try and hang in there best you can. You know, if you only got a weekend or so to hunt, then by all means, play the wind right. You know, strategize ahead of time. Make sure that you have access to get in and out. But I would, uh, I'd probably, I would sit both with the weather we got coming. Deercast is saying great. And so Tim's yeah. scheduling out his vacation day. This hypothetical individual has a lot of housework to get done also. Yeah, so I, all year long, Tim didn't take one vacation. I kept thinking, why is he saving his days? Well, that's what every hunter does. They yeah. save them from right now. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> so unfortunately for Tim, he's going to take a vacation day and still probably have to work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 100%. From, from his phone, from the tree. 100%. Never ends. <laughs> Well, Somebody's got to keep deer cast rolling. That's right. Someone's got to. It's been pretty yeah. awesome so far. Honestly, the amount of fan oh, shares man. and the stories, whether it was the deer cast, you know, algorithm that helped them get on a deer or deer cast track. We've started to see several of those where people are using deer cast track to help find their deer. Mm-hmm. So it's been pretty awesome well, to watch it. One of our younger users just posted something. He said, for someone that doesn't have a mentor to to teach them all the stuff that go, that goes into deer hunting, this app is awesome because it, it's 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 everything from basics to advanced next level information. And we kind of forget, I think, being in in the hunting industry, we forget that there are people that are just figuring out the very first steps of doing this. It's like literally. St- stealing bill belichick's playbook right Right. it's like (laughs) you know i didn't know anything about football now all of a sudden uh, you know i'm running these awesome plays it's 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 
being able to skip a lot of steps and not that you want to do that. You still got to learn. You still are going to make the mistakes. I'm sure I do it still. But if you can but, avoid a few of them, yeah. save some money or, or save some time, whatever, yeah. it, it makes a lot of sense. Absolutely. So yeah, we're, we're excited about that. Well, let's yeah, get into You know the- what guys, for as many years as we've been doing this, we take a lot of that information for granted, you know, because we've just been doing it for so long, but to hear a comment like that, Tim, is like the ultimate to me to help someone younger that doesn't have the experience yet or a novice hunter. I think that's really what our goal was when we when we did Deer Cast created the algorithm. It was to help other hunters optimize their time. So yes. uh, teaching a youngster and, and getting them from zero to 60 in a pretty short period of time, I think is is really the ultimate. That that kind of makes my season or makes my day when I hear things like that. That's exactly what it was set out for. And 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 I will try not to get on my soapbox here, but it's it's not enough for us to recruit new hunters. We have to give them the tools so they can experience success so that they remain hunters. Especially in this Absolutely. day and age, they're used to immediate gratification, whether it's phone or sports or whatever yep. the case may be. And, and if they're going out there on bad days, they because they just don't know any better, not seeing anything, they're like, oh, I don't even this have any sucks. deer. Yeah, this <laughs> Why sucks. am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, so... well. You know, there's so many times there's outside influence that you cannot control, you know, particularly if you're hunting a, a 20, 30, 50 acre parcel and, you, you know, you got neighbors and you may have four wheelers and dogs and coyotes and just a lot of things around you going on. It's really hard to optimize your time or find out what is the perfect scenario. So using those, you know, using that algorithm to where at least it may say good or great, it, it you know, kind of stacks the odds a little bit more in your favor. Yep. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully it helps somebody, uh, even whether smaller parcel where there's outside influence and, and uh, is somewhat detrimental to your hunt, maybe it, it'll make it a little bit better for them to go out there when, when the best days are happening. Agreed. Agreed. All right. All right. Let's get into the question of the day here. Let's the do question it. of the day is brought to you by Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's. Your adventure starts here. My name is Kirk Martin from Pennsylvania. I hear you guys talk a lot about access to and from your hunting stands. What do you guys do when it gets dark and there are a lot of field deer in a field or a plot that you're hunting? How do you get out of your stand without spooking deer that you can no longer see? I love you guys' podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you. Kirk, Kirk here has a great question, and this is something that... I've been spoiled in the fact that hunting with Terry, I know how he gets out of these situations. Mm -hmm. I can't do what he does. (laughs) And so I just had this happen to me the other night. And I, so go ahead and give your secret and then I'll tell my story. No, I'd like to hear yours first. <laughs> well, all right. So I'm stuck in this muddy bull blind and it's scent proof. And I have been playing, a, and, and the people that listen to the podcast re- regularly know this. I've been playing this cat and mouse game with a deer I call 2S2. And I'm si- I've been sitting this muddy bull blind over biologic radishes. And the, I had like four or five encounters with this deer in a row where he was just out of range. And mm-hmm. finally, he got into my range. I pulled back my bow. I end up knocking the window, clanging the window, wasn't open all the way, and and spook him and scare him out of here. Well, the next time I go to hunt, four or five days later, or whatever it was, we're sitting in this spot, and I swear to you, this deer came out, 
and he come out about three, 400 yards uh, downwind of us. And we're in this scent proof blind. So I know he wasn't catching us, but he actually walked past our access in. So he catches our, our scent trail. I'm positive. He lays, he sits out in the bean field. I've got all of it on, on film. He lays down and he stares at the blind the rest of the night. I know what you suckers are up to. Yeah. Like he knew we were in there. (laughs) So we, we let it get dark and the whole time I'm, I'm glassing them with my Leopold's and just seeing, seeing, is he there? Is he there? Finally, you know, and I told Scott, I was like, we, we got to wait in here until it gets pretty, pretty dark. And I, thought I could see him a body anyways, moving across the bean field behind us. <laughs> and I let it go a little bit longer. Finally, I opened just a window to see like, is he out there? Sure enough, he's standing like 20 yards behind us, you know, and I, and I know <laughs> oh, even though it was crap. quiet, you know, I knew, no, he knew we were in yep. there and he just looked at us. He never blew, never ran. But this is one of those situations where we also had deer in the food plot and I would have loved to have been, been able to get them to run off naturally quote unquote naturally to get him to run off. And I I just couldn't get him to leave the field. He made me. So I haven't hunted (laughs) since. (laughs) So what's your way to get out of it? Well, and I, and you know, I've been doing it for years. I just, I'll hoot. I'll do it out the backside of the blind. I'll open a window or if you're in a ground blind or even in a tree stand, I just, I'll hoot until they finally run off. They're getting to the point. These deer on this farm won't go anymore. It takes, I mean, I really, really got to get on them pretty hard and, and hoot and hoot and hoot until they'll finally tip off the field. But I think they've heard it so many times they just don't they don't run anymore. Oh, a guy could use a coyote dead. holler would not be the worst thing in the world. But in all honesty, waiting till the cover of darkness is probably number one. That would be the best scenario in answer to his question. I'll hooting would be another scenario or a coyote holler. Um, but if they get if they get to the point where they've been bumped away from that particular spot one too many times, they're pretty apprehensive about getting within bow range or, or yeah, something yeah. of that nature. So you got to be really, really careful about sneaking in and out of there. And access is 90% of the battle in and out. It's as important to get out as it is to get in. But uh, we've got, you know, areas where we've cut trails through the corn. We've got a guest row down on the 248 where literally you walk 400 yards through the middle of the cornfield that with a guest row this wide, so you don't touch anything on the way in. And we do the same thing in the timber. We'll cut little lanes to get in and out. In the one spot, we've got a ladder there that we can cross the creek. We kind of tip in the backside, drop the ladder in and cross the creek to get up into a tree. So there's a number of ways to do that, but cover of darkness would probably be number one. Owl hooting would be number two. And I would say the coyote holler would be number three. I know Mark and Wade in years past, they wait until pitch black and they will absolutely shoot an arrow into the ground with the knock on it to try and get the does to leave the field. I know they've done that in the past. Forrest the other night had to use a water bottle to <laughs> launch it out into the field. But th- there's a number of ways of doing it and who knows the right way. That's the way we've been using for many, many years. I think some guys also, you know, will, if you have this ability, you know, maybe you text your wife or a friend or if you're on your property and they, they whether it's with a, four-wheeler or no, their truck no. and you turn the lights on and you know you you bump them that way and then get out and, and typically they come back out sure you know? so 
Yeah, is, if it's feasible, you yeah. know, a lot of times if you're out, you know, in a remote area, that's not feasible. But yeah. yes, that's a good way to do it if, if you can get somebody there to you. Yeah. It's also a scenario where an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure. So like me, I just hunt in areas where there are no deer. <laughs> and then when you finish, there's nothing to spook. Yeah, off that's one way done. to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I have I have coyote howled with a field of deer in front of me and you feel stupid for doing it, but they they didn't win me, so they just all they knew was yeah. oh, that sounded like a coyote. So yeah. we're gonna get out of here. Well, if you can't do those things, and sometimes it sounds sillier to try to do them, that may not be a good option. Yeah, you <laughs> could like, do more do more damage than. Yeah, than let's good. hear your owl hoot there, Tim. I don't have a good owl hoot. Me neither. So that, that's why I howled like a coyote, <laughs> which is equally as embarrassing. Yeah. <laughs> so well, Terry, congratulations on a on a great deer. So happy for you to to get this. Thanks. I- one down. Thank you. Yeah. Just a reminder, if anybody wants to check it out, it's up. It's live over in DeerCast right now. It's yeah. the top thing on the feed. And um, of course, you know, this year we're giving away a farm as part of our 30th anniversary. Tons of monthly prizes. Uh, what's Nomad? We're yeah. Bun- bundle up in a full Nomad uh, system. Yeah. So, you know, check out the app while you're there. Just hit that farm giveaway tab. And mm-hmm. you sign up once and you're signed up for all these uh, awesome prizes, but it's just a way for us to say thank you to the viewers out there for following along for 30 years. That's right. Yeah. Hey, by the way, the uh, farm giveaway, it is coming up here pretty quick and we haven't been over there recently, but the last time we were there, the food plots looked fantastic. And for those that have been following along, the ponds were stocked this spring. We had a logger come in there and look at the timber and kind of evaluate what kind of dollar value there was on the timber. Uh, so things are looking really, really good. We haven't changed flashcards recently, but we'll, we'll tip back in there and, and change those here, you know, maybe within the next week or so. Yeah, so, so everything looks good on that farm. This is a 60 acre farm there in Northern Missouri and we're not hunting it. We just, we set it up last year and we've kind of improved it again this year. And literally it's turnkey. We're going to give it away to somebody at the end of the year. And uh, all you got to do is enter in over at DeerCast at the farm giveaway tab. Free well, to we enter. haven't hunted it, but we might. <laughs> if all your deer keep dying. we check those cards. Yes. <laughs> That's right. And if you want to be famous now, like Kirk Martin from Pennsylvania, and have your question answered on the air, just go to duryoutdoors.com slash podcast and click the send voicemail tab, and we will do our best to answer your question on the podcast. Hey, right. I want to want to thank him for the question. That was a great question. Absolutely. That's, that's tough getting out in the evenings when uh, when the field is full and you don't want to spook them all. Even tougher is to find a reason to love our podcast. So thank <laughs> yes. you, Kirk, so much. That's right. Kirk may have something wrong with him. <laughs> right. So we appreciate everybody for tuning into this live edition of the OnX 100% Wild Podcast. And uh, everybody, we're getting into that fun time of year. Everybody be safe, wear your safety harnesses, and identify those targets. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Thank you.